0: I speak to you this morning in the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Please be seated. Well, today is the ninth and final day of our series, Preaching Through the Great Commission. So for the last time, if you would, please turn to the back of your bulletin as we read this beautiful text one more time. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, these past nine weeks, we've covered a lot of ground. Each week, we focused on a different word or maybe a phrase from this text. We've talked about things like worship, the meaning of baptism, how to be disciples, the importance of obedience, and the power and the presence of our Lord Jesus in our lives. But today, as we wrap up this series, instead of focusing on a particular word or phrase, I want us to step back and see the whole picture and talk about the mission of the church. After all, as we just heard, Christ built his church upon the foundation of the apostles. And what is it that he wanted them to do? Now, whenever I hear the word mission, I'll be honest, there's two things that immediately pop into my mind. The first is the old Mission Impossible with Peter Graves, right? You know, your mission, if you choose to accept it, you know, as it goes through. And then the other one, and far more important, is Inspector Gadget, right? It was like, get smart for children. It always ended, you know, this message will self-destruct. And then of course, his message would blow up and he'd stumble through until he finally accomplished his mission at the end. Perhaps a bad illustration for the mission of the church. I think a better one, perhaps, is mission statements from organizations. I think most of us are familiar with mission statements because they help describe an organization's purpose, its directives, its objectives, its goals. And they have them so that they stay focused on the top priorities and that they continue to work for their goals rather than getting sidetracked on other uh, projects. So for instance, our mission partner, Little Lights, their mission statement is this, to empower underserved youth, families, and communities in Washington, DC, by sharing the hope of Christ through compassionate action, caring relationships, and racial reconciliation. This is beautiful. It lays out their goal, to empower underserved underserved people in DC. And it lays out how they intend to fulfill this goal, by sharing the hope of Christ through compassion, relationships, and reconciliation. It's crystal clear. But what about the mission of the church? If you had to guess, what would you say the mission of the church is? Glorify God. All right, at least we got an answer. (laughs) Thank you, Dan. Yeah, there we go. That's not bad, to glorify God. I'll give you a hint, we're in the middle of this series. Nancy, to spread, to spread it. Yeah, it's the Great Commission, folks, right? Jesus is clear. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And to kind of back this up, you do that. I think that'll bring glory to God. Jesus lays out the church's goal, to make disciples of all nations. And he lays out how the church is to accomplish that by making disciples through baptism and teaching them to keep Christ's commands. Our church motto sums this up in just three words. Sharing Christ's love. It's beautiful. And Jesus commissions these 11 apostles here, just like in the same way God had commissioned Old Testament leaders, like Moses or Jeremiah or Isaiah, and then sent them off to do great things. Jesus does that here with the apostles, And if you read the book of Acts, you see how they fulfill this Great Commission. But a question I think all of us have at some point is, was this just their Great Commission? Was this their mission as they started the church? Or does this have something to do with us, too? And I think many of us want to say, it was for them. Just them, right? We're not Moses. We're not Jeremiah. We're not Isaiah. We're not Peter. We're not even doubting Thomas. Surely Jesus isn't calling us to this, is he? Right? Have any of you ever said this to yourself? Of course, never out loud, but to yourself I'm not trained to evangelize. I don't know what to say. The clergy should do this. In fact, I'm already giving money to the mission partners. Isn't that enough? Anybody ever thought something along these lines? It's like four of you and the rest of you are liars, right? (laughs) Right, we all feel, I think, inadequate, overwhelmed uh, when it comes to this type of stuff, right? Before my job here, when I was called to, to All Saints, I was the associate dean of one of the schools at Catholic University. And I was brought into that office to oversee undergraduate student programming and advising. And then everybody above me left. And overnight, I was now in charge of graduate students, all the graduate programs, and all of the faculty. I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't know what the faculty did, taught, didn't know the curriculum. I felt in over my head, completely unqualified. And it was like, surely the administration is not so dumb to put me in charge of all of this mess. But surprise, surprise, they were. Right? And to give you a sense of this, my buddy Fred that I mentioned from time to time in here, he and I were talking at one point and I said, Fred, I'm probably the most educated person you know. And he goes, well, yeah, you have six degrees. Of course, you're the most educated person. No one stays in school that long. (laughs) I said, right, but with all of my education, would you put me in charge of any department in your business? Oh, absolutely not, (laughs) Right. right? That's how I felt in the midst of this. Right, so to bring this back to the Great Commission, of course the clergy should be involved in spreading the gospel. And of course you should give to our mission partners. They need your help. But I'll tell you what, the priests and our mission partners, we can't do it all. Even with the incredible staff that works so hard to keep everything in this church running, we can't do it all. We can't possibly reach the people in this community for Christ by ourselves let alone the whole world, we absolutely need you, absolutely need you. And just think about how this church runs. Our flower guild, our altar guild, our ushers, and the thrift shop entirely run by lay people, entirely. There's not a single staff member. Our greeters, our choir, our Sunday school teachers, they're almost all volunteers, Even our visiting ministry that takes communion to people in hospitals or nursing facilities, they're entirely made up of lay people except for one, me, and I'm the weakest link. These missions, these ministries are successful because of lay volunteers. They're successful because of of you, right? And this is the same with the mission of the church. All Saints Church cannot be successful in fulfilling the Great Commission without you. I don't think you understand how important you are. And if you think I'm not talking to you, you're wrong. I'm talking to you. You are important. Whether you're old or young, rich or poor, knowledgeable about the faith, or just learning, you matter and have a role to play. God has put you intentionally in your jobs, your neighborhoods, your clubs, your schools, or wherever you are for a reason whether that's here in D.C., in Maryland, Virginia, or Uganda. He's put you where you are for a reason, and you play a vital role in the mission of the church. I think most of us have heard the saying, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Yes? Yeah. Now, I believe that, totally believe that, but to some degree that feels like God's just thinking about me all the time, and it's focused on me. And so I've kind of come to realize that God loves you and has a plan for the entire cosmos and wants you to play a role in that plan. He's got a piece carved out for you to play a role, and you get to be a part of something much bigger, something much larger, something much more important than just little old me. And yet, if you feel inadequate and feel like you're not up to the task let me encourage you and remind you that you're in good company. Moses complained that he didn't know what to say, didn't know what God's name was, and didn't even have a sign to show to the Israelites or to Pharaoh to prove that God was with him. Jeremiah, he protested that he was too young and too afraid to do it. And then we have the 11 apostles here. The last time they saw Jesus... Jesus was hanging from that cross. And where were they? About as far away from that cross as they could possibly get. They ran away in fear. They abandoned Jesus at the hour of his death. And Peter denied him three times. And that's the people Jesus calls to fulfill the Great Commission. And so if God can empower knuckleheads like Moses, Jeremiah, Peter, James, John, and doubting Thomas... He can call and empower you for the task of the Great Commission too. Heck, even in my role as Associate Dean at Catholic University, I didn't burn the place down and we didn't lose a billion dollars. I don't know how that happened. It's the grace of God, but he was there. And so to sum this up, Jesus has called the church, all of us, me and you, to fulfill the Great Commission. As Father Ed used to say, The church in mission is the church being the church, and as much as I hate to say these words out loud, Ed was right. (laughs) But how do we do this? How do we fulfill the Great Commission? How do we share Christ's love in practical ways? I'll give you three quick things, and obviously there's more I could say, and at some point I hope we have a class on something like everyday evangelism, living out your faith. The family forum does a lot of stuff like that, and you should go to that. But three quick things, and first we pray. We pray. We have to begin by praying for the wisdom, the strength, the guidance, and even the desire to go out and share Christ's love with others. We need to begin by asking Jesus to show us what to do and what to say so that we share Christ's love. And we need to begin by praying for the next person to come to fall in love with Jesus through the ministries of this church. In short, we need to rely on God. That's step one. Way back when, when Kimberly and I were in North Carolina, we would work together in youth ministry and we would lead vacation Bible school type events. And so we'd do these crafts with these kids. And one of the crafts we would do with them was to make these little frogs. I don't know if you can all see this, but it's a little frog made out of a small flower pot and some foam and things like that. And we wanted all of our crafts to point people to Jesus. So clearly, frog, right? Right? You know, why not a dove or a lamb? Well, it's because Frog, F R O G, fully rely on God. And as I was thinking through this sermon and all of that, I was like, you know what? I'm going to make one and leave it on my desk so that I remember every day I need to fully rely on God. Because that's step one for all of our ministries. Step two, however, is to worship. And you may have noticed that this comes up a lot in this sermon series on the Great Commission. And that's because this is the central thing we do as Christians. Our worship of our Lord Jesus molds and shapes us to be better disciples of Christ. And if we don't believe in and worship and love the Lord Jesus, how can we possibly draw other people to believe in, love, and worship our Lord Jesus? The scholar, scholar Oliver Yarborough puts it so succinctly, making disciples grows out of being disciples. Plus, have you ever thought about how evangelistic worship is itself? Where else during your week is the gospel of Jesus so clearly proclaimed? Right, every Sunday morning through the scriptures, the sacraments, the sermons, the songs, the prayers, and the creed, we confess along with Peter from our gospel reading this morning that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of the living God. He is our Savior, our Lord, and our King. My dear friends, that's the basics of the gospel and we hear it preached to our hearts week after week after week. And so let's invite other people to come so that they would hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ week after week after week. So we begin with prayer, then we worship, and then finally we love. And this may sound sentimental and cheesy, but I promise you it's anything but that. I think most of us are familiar with how St. Paul defines love in 1 Corinthians. He says love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant, rude, irritable, or resentful. And most importantly, and what speaks to me directly, is love does not insist on its own way. That is not some sappy, emotional, self-centered type of love that just makes us feel good and gives us a warm fuzzy. This is a humble, selfless, powerful love that takes hard work because it's a love that strives to do what is best for someone else without any concern about me. This love seeks to serve, to give, to bless, and to help in both word and deed, and we need to have both, right? Because if we just speak the words of the gospel to people without living it out, then we're just hypocrites, And boy, aren't Christians accused of hypocrisy far too often. But if we have the deeds of the gospel without the words, then people never hear about the love of Jesus, the grace of God, or the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. They don't get to hear that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. But true self-centered love, I'm sorry, Christ-centered love, that's an important distinction, True Christ-centered love loves in both word and deed, and so it points people to Jesus. And when we proclaim the gospel in both word and deed, I am thoroughly convinced that people will both hear and see how awesome Jesus is, because they will hear that the, from the gospel that Christ has died and risen for them, that He has washed away their sins and welcomes them into His eternal kingdom but they will also see Jesus' love through His church when the church provides for their needs. Whether that's providing an encouragement for someone who's hurting, a friend for someone who's lonely, food for someone who's hungry, forgiveness for someone who's offended, hospitality for someone who's unwanted, justice for someone who's mistreated, an ear for someone who's gone unheard, or an embrace for someone who feels unloved. My dear friends, when our parish is known for this, both the proclamation of the gospel and the love of Jesus, I'll tell you what, people will want to be here because they will want Jesus. And so, my dear friends, as we finish this series, remember that the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth has commissioned all of us, both me and you, to go out and to make his disciples, to share his love. And he's promised to be with us every step of the way, forever to the end of the age as we do it. And so in full reliance on his power and presence, in full reliance upon his Holy Spirit, let us go out and share his love in both word and deed, so that the D.C. community and indeed the whole world will see how awesome and wonderful our Lord and Savior is, so that they would then fall in love with Him and want to be His disciples. This is our mission, whether we choose to accept it or not. So now let's go out and do it. Amen.